Welcome to the Big Texas Podcast presented by Texas Young Republicans. I'm your host, Jordan Overturf, bringing to you a very special hour-long interview with Jim Wright, the Republican candidate for Railroad Commissioner. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. My first question for you, how are you and your family uh, managing during this coronavirus response? We've been doing great. We've been trying to be as cautious as we can by limiting our contact with the outside world. everybody's fine our health is good and i hope everyone on your side is doing well also i appreciate that uh yeah we're we're doing just fine here and uh you know texas yrs have been uh active making sure we're taking part in days of action and things like that helping out candidates like yourself so i appreciate you so much coming on for for this uh extended interview uh because there are two questions that i know went through just about every voter's mind, every journalist, anyone in the political class in Texas on primary election night. Who the heck is Jim Wright and how did he pull off this primary election upset? Now let's let's start with the the former question. Jim, tell us just real briefly, who are you? What is your background and experience and you know, what got you into this race? Well, actually, I'm a light-spoken person, so you you probably didn't hear much about me in the industry. I've been involved in the industry since uh, actually 1984 when I went to work for my first environmental-related company. uh, I've owned and operated several companies. I own four today that deal in the environmental side, that deal not only in the oil and gas industry, but in the petrochemical and utility industry. The oil and gas industry, as you know, through the shale play has been a hot item for us in the state of Texas. It's been a big economy driver for us. So our business has uh, kind of led toward that direction. And we do a lot of consulting for those people. And, and we got more involved with the industry, which caused our involving more and more with the Railroad Commission. And and uh, we, we, together, as some of the industry leaders, myself, formed a board to, uh, to help get better guidance documents and help help the railroad commission and, and just kind of noticed early on that the tail was uh, kind of wagging the dog there. So the board that I formed said, Jim, we, we need to, we need to make sure we get something done and you've been the one to organize this and work with us. And we'd like you to consider running for the railroad commission. And actually that was in July of 2019. I thought about that for a long time and I didn't make that final decision until December 6th of 2019, which was a very short period to, to run this campaign. But I attribute the success to the people that I know in the field. I'm, I'm not a big desk guy. I never have been. I work with the workers that are out in the field every day. I do a lot of listening and I, and I, and I, exude my concern over what our industry and the impact it has to our economy and the jobs that, that it provides. And that's, uh, that's what we're here for. So uh, as someone who is active in the industry, you know, what were some of those uh, concerns that you were having that made you form this task force? And what were your initial plans as you started the campaign? Like what were some of the tenets of your campaign? To answer your first question about, about the task force and what, what we got behind in starting that, 
was we were trying to create a, a steady level playing field for all the people that deal with the railroad commission. And some of the rules that are out there today are, are left up to a staff member's uh, uh, interpretation of what that rule really says. And that creates some peaks and valleys and, and the way it is interpreted and applied depending on who you talk to at the commission. So we were offering guidance documents, which most other agencies strongly rely on when they have staff members that come in to work for those agencies. So we had offered to write stronger guidance documents for those rules as they applied to the, to the industry and, and to also promulgate some changes that, not, that not only kept the benefit for the environment, but to increase the benefit for environment while, while steady, steady focusing on our, our economic impact of those regulations. And Christy Craddock was a huge uh, supporter of that. She, uh, she allowed us access to the, to the staff, but we recognized early on that, uh, there, there were some problems there and that, that, that our recognition of the staff was, was not a lot of respect for the current residing commissioners. Uh, and I think that was caused because there were some problems between the three commissioners. And, uh, the, again, that was the deciding factor when we, when we noticed that for me to run for the commission. And I, I, I am a firm believer in the three commissioners today. I, I think that they've done the best job we can, but I think that they've done a poor job about having, having a united ability to lead that, that agency forward to help, help us economically here in Texas. Um, Certainly having a united uh, commission at this time uh, would be beneficial in, in terms of getting the oil and gas industry back on track right now. Uh, but I want to go back to, uh, you mentioned Commissioner Craddock. Did she at all influence your decision to run? No, I never even discussed it with her. You know, I never even called her to tell her that I was making that decision to run. Uh, I did this based on on what I was hearing from the people out in the industry, and that was mainly from the workers that I saw in the field. You know, what we've experienced in our oil and gas industry through our history has always been peaked and valleyed. Uh, people people seem to be really strong on it. We have good jobs; it drives our economy very well. And all of a sudden, we crash, and then we have to rebuild again. And and there's a lot a lot of inhibitors that come along with that. And I think today it's it's kind of shown us. To, to the peak, uh, what are the investors going to think about us as we come back and, and start our normalcy again? You know, what what are the people wanting jobs in this industry going to think when we, as we come back to normalcy again? And, and what can they expect in the future? And I think that that should have been thought about years ago. I think that uh, the way we've set up our marketing ability for, for our product is poor, and I think that's something that the railroad commissioners need to help lead. But we need industry involvement, and everyone from citizens of the state to the heads of every oil-producing company to come in and sit down and let's develop something as a mass to, to get the attention of our federal government so that, that we have a marketing ability not only to the world but here domestically. And looking at the, what regulations are stopping us from doing that, and trying to make changes to those that that enhance the environment, but also allow us further economic growth. And I just want to say too, I, you know, I'm, I I'm very proud to be on the show today. I I, I uh, I'm very proud of you guys as young Republicans because it's you guys that that really need to take a long look at this because this is a big driver for Texas. People don't realize what the oil economy does for all the rest of our economy. 
Yeah. And I want to, we're, we're going to talk plenty about uh, the recovery and the oil and gas industry here in a bit, but I want to kind of go back to the campaign. Uh, you weren't completely, uh, you know, an anonymous candidate out there. You were doing interviews with uh, media organizations uh, and you certainly had a very conservative budget in terms of how you were going out and uh, getting your message out. Uh, I actually read a uh, Q&A that you did with, uh, uh, I believe it was the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, where you were talking about some of uh, the road bumps you had in your life early on as you started to get into this industry. Uh, so I wanted to talk a bit about that because, you know, a lot of the discussion, especially as we get into this campaign cycle, is probably going to focus on your bona fides as a CEO within the industry. but. I'm, I'm willing to bet that most of the people watching right now don't know that you originally started out as a rodeo cowboy and, you know, you found your way into the industry earnestly and worked your way up. So take us back to those early days. And as you discuss it, maybe give some tips to young Republicans who are watching right now, maybe in their own struggle early on in their own business ventures. You know, I, I grew up, uh, on a ranch and, and at a very young age, I think I was six or seven years old, our, our house burned down, accidentally burned down. And, and my mom was uh, a, a farmer. My dad was always a rancher. So my dad wanted us to live in the brush. My mom wanted us to live in a plowed field. So um, when our house burned down, it gave mom her opportunity to go buy a place on a plowed field. And, and uh, that's what we did. And not long after that, a hazardous waste facility about a quarter mile uh, to the south of us uh, started building and, and put in a hazardous waste facility. And I was probably nine or 10 around that time. Uh, we went through all those great smells that uh, before RECRA and all the regulations came in uh, uh, and, and smelling that facility through the years of growing up and through high school. And my dad owned his own companies too. We, we were strong in the farming and ranching and mining business and uh, he had come into some bad luck and and actually ended up filing for bankruptcy when I was a senior in high school and I, I had an opportunity because I had rodeoed my whole family rodeoed we grew up on a ranch and and my dad broke me of ever wanting to be a roper uh early on so I decided that's when I would ride bulls huh. I was the one of the of the four four brothers that that made that decision the other I had one other that rode bucking horses and the others roped but, uh, you know, I got very passionate about that, and, and it's kind of been that if, if I pick something and I want to do it, I'm going to go out at, at it with my full heart, and, uh, and I want to make sure that I achieve the best I can. So, uh, you know, radio meant a lot to me through, the, through my years of, in high school and even beyond uh, to the point that I was offered three scholarships at, at three different colleges to go on, on a rodeo scholarship, but I could recognize in mom's voice that we needed help at home. So when I graduated high school, I drove down to that has waste facility and I introduced myself to the manager and I said, I'm the little kid that you drive by every day. And I'm also the little kid that lives south of you and the dominant wind is always south. And I've had to smell your stuff all my life. And if anybody deserves a job, I do. And he gave me a job. And uh, I was there for a few years and, and I learned and started there. I learned and started at the bottom and, and I liked that business. I was very intrigued by it. Uh, in 91, I started my first company, and I've, I've owned companies and bought companies since then, and, and I've just grown in that environmental business, what I 
what I grew up in, but it, it gave me access to not knowing just that it, that environmental side, but how to run a business and and uh, and interacting with all the people in these industries and, and how, especially how our energy works, because environmental issues tend to be dominant around those. Uh, you know, I I, uh, I quit riding my bulls in 1996. I I, I would uh, on weekends if I could slip away, I'd go to a rodeo here and there. And you know, I, today I'm I'm 58 years old and I still crave getting on a bull. You know, I know I have no business doing that now, but uh, it's just something I grew up with and I loved it. And, and I you know I have no regrets in that. But you know, I, I it probably says that I'm a risk taker to the max. And I am, but I, but I judge those risks very well before I actually jump off. And, and maybe a little bit of the railroad commission was a risk for me, but if I don't take those risks. And that's something that you know I'm so proud of you young people for. Is it takes risk in life to, to achieve what you want to do. And, and I, I encourage you to do those. Well, that's definitely, you know, a story of a true Texan with plenty of tenacity to go out and uh, chase the things that you're passionate about. Uh, as you as you come up in the industry uh, and you've you've seen the peaks and valleys of the oil and gas experience, how do you think the situation now compares to previous downturns in the market? I think this 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 situation is a bit unique and that we had a pandemic coupled with it as as you know covid we we had two fronts of this we, we had OPEC and Russia that decided to to wage war on us in price and then we also had the pandemic which caused people to stay home and and really made our demand I don't think we've ever seen before in history go to the levels that we have so we as a, as the industry have had to confront that and I think it's caused everybody in the industry to look back and go, you know, this this has got to change. We've we've got to do something to control the United States uh destiny in, in our natural resources. I think the shell play has proven that we have the ability to be a, a leader in in that area. I think that uh you know, and I said this during my primary campaign, I, you know, I said it over and over again. I want the ability if, if get elected to the railroad commission to have business roundtables, I want to, to bring citizens into those roundtables. I want to sit down and hear ideas from our people in Texas of how, how do we solve this problem? You know, my idea and, and my point of thinking from that would be to recognize that the United States, to me, is the largest consumer of imported products in the world. We should have a leverage at a negotiating table to have direct contracts where our products go and what the prices on those products are. If we can kind of realize and start from that standpoint of how do we get there and looking at logistics, what do we have to offer, what's the consistency of that, uh, I think that we could we could develop that to where OPEC and Russia doesn't really have an impact on what we do. And if you look at what Russia's done, and, and if you know anything about the way he's tried to push their gas, their natural gas, that's what he's doing. And I think we're way behind in those times. I think we have gotten complacent that we can we can sure produce it. We've got the technology to do it. We put it in a pipeline and we let destiny control that price. And I think we need to get a lot better at controlling our destiny than that. 
Well, and is this something that the industry itself is calling for, or is this something that the Railroad Commission uh, has been trying to develop in the in recent years as Texas's position in the oil and gas industry has uh, rocketed up? I mean, we're what, fourth, third largest producer uh, right now in the world? Yes, we are. Uh, we, we have again, with the shell play, we, we've developed a resource now that we, we can be a contender in the world. Uh, and I don't think we've done everything in developing that yet. Our technology, I think, is the leading country in the world about achieving and obtaining these natural resources. Um, our, our economic way of doing that is improved. And I think the Railroad Commission has, has done a pretty good job about enhancing the way that we improve that technology and giving an easier way to obtain getting there. Um, you know, I think there, again, as I started out early on in the conversation, I think there is some some clarity and, and things to make it more fair for all industry and to invite people that want to be entrepreneurs and want to get into that side of the business to where if you're going to, you need to make sure that it's fair for everyone. Um, I think that they've done a great job in, in that. I think they need to add a little bit to, to helping that clarity with guidance documents like I talked about earlier. Uh, but I think that we have done a bad job about being in connection with other agencies. And when I say other agencies, I'm talking about EPA, TCQ, federal level agencies that that impact our ability to go out and, and market and enhance how do we get this and how do we get our prices so that we keep our economy strong and our jobs strong. And so we're not peaked and valleyed in the future. So people rely on what this means for them. Now, uh, the Railroad Commission has been very active over these past couple months as they uh, reach out to the industry and kind of gauge what their thinking is uh, and request the uh, chair of the commission, Wayne Christian, uh, asked for industry officials to give their capacity reports and things like that. Uh, just last week, the Railroad Commission voted 2-1 against your former opponent, Commissioner Ryan Sitton, on the proration effort. So for those who aren't uh, in the know for the industry, can you give us uh, a little bit of a recap of that decision and why uh, you think they came to that decision? Pro-rationing is something that the Railroad Commission of Texas has the power to do. Pro-rationing was started way back in the 30s, I believe, and, and we kind of towed that line until the early 70s. And, and it was really meant to stop waste of overproducing, of, of us running out of those natural resources. Now, we, when we first started drilling and discovering that we had natural resources here in the late 1800s, you know, we, we basically drilled a hole in the ground and we had pressure enough to bring this stuff to the surface. That's what we started it out with. We, like I said before, we, we've been very aggressive in that technology. And I think we've got a good way now of staying to where we can uh, manage and not oversupply. I think we have a, a good, smart industry that, that knows better than to oversupply and, and uh, do the right thing. So pro, pro rationing in the beginning was just, just kind of set up to where people didn't overproduce, people didn't create a waste, and, and, and it was more geared toward they would stick it in just a hole in the ground or stick it in a 55-gallon drum, and it, and it wasn't it was not managed back then. It was it was kept and held for pricing and 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 uh, you know prices up we dump the oil, prices down we hold the oil, 
well, it caused waste and it caused issues from from a strong issues in the environmental side, and that's that's how thorough rationing originally came about. It wasn't to regulate what the price was of oil; it was trying trying to preserve our, our resources. Uh, it was what pro rationing was originally based on, and I think Ryan brought that up, and he you know it it was a good point to start out with, but I think it was the wrong intent, and I think it it would have caused us to be in the in the market game of setting pricing on, on what that impact would be to everyone, including us here in the United States. So I, I was against that. I think free market takes care of that and it has. You know, it we've we've way overproduced from for market demand today. So, you know, we've got to adapt to that. Uh, I don't I don't and I never have experienced a pandemic like this. Don't know that we'll experience another one again for, for many years. Not sure. I don't think anybody can predict that. But I do know one thing. The supply of oil, gasoline, diesel, and the products it makes will come back. You're seeing that come back today. Uh, I think you're going to see that we're going to probably be undersupplied come the end of the, the year as people get past this pandemic and go back to being normal because we've been forced to shut in. There is nowhere to go with the supply that we have now. And I, when I say that supply, that's worldwide. The, the pandemic is just not here in the United States. This is a worldwide pandemic. So everybody has been shut in. I think we're down uh, above 30% of what our demand was before the pandemic started. But, but I think you're starting to see that come back. And, you know, it'd be interesting to know on a daily basis, and I can't find the data, uh, how many gallons of gasoline we actually sell as days increase. I think you'll see that climbing and climbing. I know that I drive from my home to my campaign office every day. Uh, three weeks ago, I was a Lone Ranger. Today, I get run over like usual. There's a lot of people traveling. And I, I think it would be very interesting today that you're going to see that production and that storage that we have now. It's going to start depleting. And, and do we did we cause such a panic to where production is not, will not keep up to our, our demand? I think we're kind of in that position. So when you talk about pro-rationing, I think we did that, you know, we, we did that naturally. Uh, what we got to learn from this and coming out of it on the other side is, you know, what, what is going to sustain our pricing and, 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 and our economy? And those are the things that we need to set down and develop and not let it happen again. Pandemic, okay. We need to make sure that, you know, uh, if if, I'd have, if we'd have recognized this early on and there was stimulus money available, I think that the Fed should have looked at maybe keeping these wells producing and, and using some of the strategic uh, uh, storage that they have available to uh, to do some stop-loss type policy on, on money that's lent from the taxpayer to the, to the oil industry where we had collateral in that money. I, I think that should have been done. I, I think there, there could have been help there where it wasn't a, uh, a liability for us, the taxpayer. But the, I, I think that ship has sailed now. Uh, I think people are settled in, and I think that uh, we're, we're on the move up. So what scares me is we're going to be undersupplied coming out the, the other side of this pandemic. So how how does that jibe uh, that you think we'd be undersupplied as we're, you know, uh, based on the commissioner uh, chair's report, 
from, I believe it was April 21st, uh, Railroad Commissioner Chair Wayne Christian uh, reported back from the refineries and pipelines that there is uh, still some storage capacity available. Uh, is that correct? And if so, uh, with all of these uh, storage, with, with all of these resources in, in this storage, how would we be undersupplied? Well, we're going to be undersupplied because people now are shutting in. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that do not have the uh, a way to get it to the available storage that is left. You know, I think I think the commission's doing a great job now trying to to relieve uh, uh, regulation on where to put this oil as it's being produced. I know I've talked to some pipeline companies that said that they would make their transmission lines available for actual storage. Um, I, I think that will happen. But, but again, as I said, you know, right now people people are shutting down. They're, they don't have a place to go with the soil. So you shut in an oil well, it's not as easy to go just turn it back on. It's not a light switch. Um, you know, once you shut a well in, you take a lot of chance that you may never get that well back. And to get that well back costs a lot of money. You, you've got to kind of go in and rework that well to get it flowing the way it was before you shut it down. Pressure has impact on There's a lot of things that have impact on bringing that well back on. And I think that's where we will be undersupplied if, if we go back to normal. What normal used to be, I'm talking about January, February of this year. Will we ever be back to normal? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to that. But I, but I, you know, I, I hope and I pray for that. Uh, and if we are, I think by the end of the year, you're going to see that demand's back, but the supply isn't because it's just not that easy to go back to what we were doing in the oil industry. Well, and for those who are sitting here loving their gas prices and uh, asking the question, why do we want to see uh, the price of oil go back up? Can you kind of explain, you know, to folks who, who don't understand why it benefits the state uh, and these industries and individual consumers when uh, the oil and gas industry in Texas is successful? Well, sure. You know, it, it, Texas, uh, the oil industry jobs create other types of jobs. And, and if you look at the restaurants that were closed down, the hotels that are closed down, all these people are without jobs right now. The oil industry is a big supplier of who buys meals at restaurants and who rents hotels and all the things that, that are really impacted today. So when you look at the oil industry and what the impact is for us here in Texas, it's, it's stronger than just the people out in the oil field. It, it impacts pretty much everything we do here. And, te and Texas is very reliant on that industry. Our tax dollars, a, a huge portion of it comes from that industry in, in many different facets. And I, I think that we need to strive to get back to that uh, to, to make our economy strong again. I mean, I, I, I think that's the, that's the thing we have to do. We're not going to have a choice in that. We're going to have to figure out a way to get this economy back. And that, that is the driver of our economy. So, uh, and, and I, Go ahead. I do think there, there there are people out there that that are smart enough to sit down and figure out how we do that. I think I think that uh, this is probably a good time for us to to come up with better planning for our future, so so that we we sustain this business and not not be uh, susceptible to, to outside influence. And, you know, pandemic is something nobody could control, but we can control our competition. We need to learn more about our competition and we need to be able to compete with that. So as some, 
as someone who's a CEO in the industry right now, I am curious what those conversations are like, uh, especially since you continue to work uh, as you go through this campaign. What are those inside conversations like with industry folks who are leading this charge to bring back the oil and gas industry in Texas? Every conversation that I've had has been very receptive. In fact, uh, I've had them pray, kind of praise that, that I'm willing to open the door to let them even come in and sit down. You know, I've told every one of them, uh, I, I'm there in a capacity, and please use me in that capacity. Now, we have got to get Texas economy back. I, I want your input. I need your input, and I will do my, my part to make sure that I take that message wherever I have the ability to do that. But I, I am going to need your help on on creating a mass force to, to get the attention so that we get those changes. And, and, I, and that's been very well received. I have had not, not one that has not volunteered to come in and spend time doing that, such as the people that we had on that environmental task force. Those were all volunteers and they were willing to do that. So I'm curious as Texas has weathered these, these peaks and valleys of the oil and gas industry, have there been, uh, uh preparations made are there contingencies in place for when we have these kinds of crashes to ease the effect on the local economy no i, I don't i don't think we do you know we, we experience these crashes and, and you've seen them you've seen them in your lifetime we've had some a couple of them in this century um now the we crash we close down businesses close down people lose their jobs and then we start to to see that it's the swing that that has always been successful to our competition our competition being you know the, the world which is saudis russia's all those type of people you know they they're the ones that kind of decide what that price is they, they dictate that price and, and we've been naive enough i think to believe that there's a future in where our average has been on that oil pricing to just dump it into the market to the world market and we're going to play that game I don't think that's a, that's a safe game to play. I think that we need to figure out our final destiny for that product. You know, when you look at companies such as Exxon and Shell, Chevron, Phillips 66, you've got, uh, I, I admire them because they, they kind of control their destiny. They do everything through refining. That's one of the things I think we need to look at domestically is how do we, how do we enhance competition in our refining? You know, how do we get the rules to be where people can even get into the refining business so that we can start processing our own domestic oil. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I think, I think you'll, if you, if you know the, the refining industry, uh, there's only about 30% of our refining capacity that, that actually can process our light crude that we make here in the United States. The rest of that is all dependent on heavy, heavy crude, which is from foreign, foreign sources. Um, and that was set up to keep competitive in the market initially. Uh, but I think that it's it's having such a huge impact. And, and I don't believe that OPEC or Russia and them can actually get a return on, on what they work to get that out of the ground at the prices we are today. It, it just, the, the economics don't work. Um, I think that people, you know, when you talk about price at the pump, are people happy if they could pay 50 cents a gallon for gas? Sure, if everything else would remain normal, but it won't. Uh, you're going to lose all that tax revenue. You're going to lose thousands of jobs. 
it will not be a normal world if that continues to occur. You you will see uh, you'll see Texas and and the rest of our nation uh, become a, more like a third world country if we don't stay a leader in this industry. So uh, obviously the the industry itself has a global reach, but the the effects here on the railroad commission only contain within the bounds of Texas. And one of the, the tenets of your campaign early on was that you wanted to make instrumental changes at the commission that would not only affect the way business is done here in Texas, but also how DC interacts with us and the global market. So as someone who is vying for, uh, for votes here in Texas, how does the railroad commission achieve that goal? How do they expand their reach to affect the way DC views Texas's oil and gas industry? Well, I think if you see what's going on today, especially with Mr. Wayne Christian, he, he has already started talking with Canada and Mexico about, uh, you know, what do we do to make sure that we don't allow this to happen again? Uh, as a as a Texas regulator, we, we, we have access to that and, and to be able to talk to people like them and to be able to go to other states to sit down and talk to people like them. And then we also have, have a great bridge in Christy Craddock. Christy's a, a, been a politician most of her adult life. She knows the politics, and, and she has the ability to bridge that over to Washington. I think that you have a good combination moving forward if I get elected on that board to, to make all those things happen. I think that uh, the word complacency comes to mind sometimes. You know, price goes up. All these, all these things get, uh, get forgotten. I don't think we're going to forget them this time. So I think that the, what they have started to move forward, when you look at what Wayne Christian has done, is I, I can't applaud that enough. That's what I said all along during my primary, and he has. He's, he's starting a ta- he has started a task force from the industry, and he's bringing in those ideas now. What can we do as an agency to help our economy, but still provide all the protection that this a- agency is formed on? And, and how can we change those rules to make sure that we accomplish both? They're doing it now. Uh, I just think that that's the charge that we need to, to continue to move forward on so that younger people like you are, can, can say, you know what, that's a good industry. That's something I want to I do uh, that moves our economy forward. Uh, what, else, what else does Texas have to provide? Uh, we, we, we are the richest state when it comes to oil and gas. You know, we, we, wow, a lot of things on this campaign have been, been – uh, kind of derived around natural gas flaring. I, I don't want to see gas flared off into the atmosphere. I want to see it turned into cash. And to turn it into cash, well, we've got to look at regulations and how does that impact the economy to get it to a market. And once we have it to somewhere processing, we need to be concerned about who's going to buy it. You know, we need to make sure that we as the Railroad Commission are setting a path forward so that people do buy it. And, and I think that we need to provide the mechanism for people to come in and have a road to make sure that those things happen. That's that's our job. Now, part of the problem with that is just the simple fact that there is market demand for natural gas, but the cost to actually get it there is pretty prohibitive. Uh, add to it the fact that uh, you know building pipelines in the state is regular business, but it's it's a tough business to to be in especially as the legislature uh, last go around was taking under uh, the task of eminent domain reform now that initially uh, failed 
in uh, the committee that is headed by Commissioner Craddock's father, uh, Dean Tom Craddock, uh, state representative in the Texas House. So I, I guess my question for you is, how do we make that that transition so that it is easier for natural grass to be transmitted, but also be able to work uh, with with landowners who are uh, starting to struggle with the back and forth over eminent domain reform here in the state? Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, how many other right-of-ways besides pipelines do you see going across the state of Texas? Oh my goodness. There's so many electric companies. You got uh, a, a million different cable companies. I'm a, little, I'm a little bit confused there. We, I think we got plenty of land that's eminent domain already to run pipelines where we need them. Mm -hmm. We have the railroad out there. No, I don't think anybody's ever even met with the railroad to say, Hey, would you like to make more money besides pulling rail cars down a rail? Would you like to be in the pipeline business? Has anybody met with the electrical companies? Say, what you know? How can we how can we get pipelines safely through those right of ways? Mm -hmm. I don't think those questions have ever been asked. In fact, uh, the week after I won the primary, I got to meet with a bunch of electrical companies, and and we talked about all that. And and I was really really proud when I walked out of there. They stood with a standing ovation because you know they they they've got lots of land, they've got lots of right of ways, uh, and everybody wants to make money. We we need to get natural gas to a processing plant. We need to market our natural gas because we have plenty of it. And that, that creates jobs that drives up our economy. We just got to get a little bit smarter about how we do it. Yeah. And I think people would be surprised to learn how many companies uh, go through this process and they get, you know, a couple years into it when they discover, oh, we actually already own right of way along this track or, or things like that. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how it affects it, but one of the other priorities in the railroad commission is, uh, updating their database, uh, that they use to manage all of these things. Uh, it, you know, I was in a meeting with commissioner Craddock last session where she talked about how antiquated, uh, that management system is to the point that we are running out of, uh, computer professionals who actually understand the programming language used to manage that database. Uh, as you look at all of the needs of the oil and gas industry and the fact that we are going to deal with some kind of economic downturn in terms of the fiscal uh, budget available to the state of Texas in the next session, how do we address so many different needs uh, when, when we're going to be under tight budget constraints? You know, to me, that's a very simple answer. And just to kind of back up a little bit, I want to make sure that everyone is aware that I'm a big advocate of private property owners. You know, I I, I own a ranch. I, I really don't want a pipeline running through my ranch. Uh, and that's what you see. There's a lot of environmental issues with that. So, you know, that's one of the roundtables that I want to make sure that I have private property owners in on to get their ideas of that. Because there are some that, that need the revenue of pipelines going across and some that don't. Now, Texas is, is out in West Texas is probably more easier to get your pipelines across than it is through Kerrville, Texas, just because of the beauty of the land. Uh, so we you know, need to be cognizant of that and aware of that. And those dynamics may change in how we run those pipelines if we can't work on existing right-of-ways. But I think that's something that needs to be talked about in the future. Uh, you're talking about... Um, 
you know, how antiquated their IT system is at the Railroad Commission and how many millions of dollars we spend every year. I know Christy has fought as hard as she can to, to try to get that system upgraded. I, I compare that to, to, their other, to the other agency, which is Texas Commission on Environmental Quality that regulates the industrial side of it. So as, as oil gets to a refinery or gets in that transmission pipeline, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality takes over governance of, of what that environmental impact is. They have some very, very up-to-date, very good IT systems over there. And where, where they recognized that they had a shortfall was trying to do that themselves. You know, they, they have programs that, you know, I know this firsthand because I, I'm in the recycling business on an industrial level, so I'm registered as a generator. I have to pay a fee every year to, to an IT programmer in order to do those reports that are required by the state. It doesn't cost the state a dime. I, I, as a generator, have to pay for that. If I want to be in that business, that's, that's a fee I pay. And I, I've talked to other other producers and, and people like that, and I've heard no complaints that they had to pay for something along those lines. And, you know, when we talked about fair trade and trading with other co- countries with direct contracts, and there's, there's some countries out there that have some really great IT programs, you know, India. A lot of people turn to India to say, listen, I need a program that accomplishes this for us, and we need you to run that program. I, I know. <laughs> Whenever I call anybody about a complaint, even on this computer, I'm, I'm talking to somebody in India. You know, so that that's that's what I think we need to look more at is maybe maybe getting outside help to get that done, and looking at industry on you know what would better help them and ease things. I, I think that it'd be a no problem for them to pay some money for for that to happen. Now I want to get back Instead to of the, I want to get back to the campaign and uh, some of, of the policies that you have been supporting along the way. And uh, I first off uh, love your candor. Uh, you're not uh, afraid to admit where you've made mistakes in the past in your life, and, and certainly uh, you you have a interesting perspective in terms of the political class. Uh, one of the things that I, I really liked in looking up your platform is that you have a pro-transparency uh, platform. You are pro getting better about the way the environment is managed and making sure that we protect our natural environment here in Texas. Uh, something that uh, Republicans used to take up by and large, it was a huge part of the platform. Uh, so, as you look ahead at this election cycle, do you feel like your platform puts you in a better position to take on a Democrat, uh, especially possibly one named Beto? Oh, can't wait. <laughs> you know, I, I think that my opponents today are, um, are, are naive in the way that they support the Green New Deal. Um, and, you know, if we don't flare, we're not producing. If we're not producing, we don't have jobs, and, and hence our economy. I think you can talk to anybody on the street today and, and ask them, do you like what you're, you're having to deal with today without a job? And I think he's going to say no. I think that he's going to say, I wish we were back in February or January when I had a job. Uh, uh, so the effect of what my opponents will bring is is not in the best interest of what our economy is, but uh, – being in the environmental side of the business, I know that economy and the environment can coexist together very easily. In fact, you can enhance the environment and still have economic 
gain in that. And I think that's where both of those opponents lack in experience. Um, you know, when I say I, would, I can't wait, I, I, I pride myself in knowing those regulations very well and how they impact our industry. And that's what I do every day. So uh, bring it on, you know, let's talk about that. Uh, your gumption is great. I, I love it so much. Uh, so speaking of the Green New Deal uh, and the the platform that Democrats love to get out there and promote, uh Elon Musk making big headlines over the weekend, you know, threatening to pull Tesla out of California and bring those manufacturing jobs here to Texas. Uh, A, where do you stand on uh, Tesla possibly moving its manufacturing here to Texas? And B, how do you uh, how do you see the future of the oil and gas industry meeting the needs of a new electric car generation? Well, you know, I, I've been asked that question by, by several people since I was on this uh, primary. And, and, I, and I always come back with those electric cars run on batteries. And the plastic that those batteries are made out of made out of oil. So if you want to shut down oil, you better, you better like horses because that's what you're going to be riding. And if Tesla wants to move their manufacturing here, He's going to be a big consumer of our supply. So if he needs help hauling his stuff, just give me a call. I'll be glad to get him here. He creates more jobs for us. And I, and I think that's great. You know, I think that we, we need to look at all fuels, um, electric, wind, or, or whatever. As long as it makes economic sense and drives our economy and creates jobs, I'm for it. Um, I, I think that, uh, that when you talk about Green New Deals, that's why Mr. Tesla is, is wanting out of California. So let that be a kind of a lesson and, and people learn from that. So do you think that uh, there ever will be a, a, an eventual curtailment of all oil and gas industry or there, are there too many other products that rely on the production of oil for us to really uh, put that to rest? Uh I can't think of one thing uh, that we don't use in our day-to-day lives that does not require oil or gas. Um, unless we we discover some foreign planet somewhere that's got a better better resource that's better for our environment, it's always going to be here. Well, I, I don't know. I uh, mean, I, DOD did release UFO footage, so you know the possibility <laughs> seems to be increasing yeah. that maybe that world is out there. Uh, could, could could be. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, but until then, all gas is what we have. Absolutely. So uh, looking down the pipe at November, what are you uh, turning your focus on right now uh, as you ramp up the campaign and get ready for a, a real fight, especially uh, with the primary runoff around the corner? Uh, your Democratic opponent will be named officially in July uh, with that primary runoff. Uh, where are you focusing your efforts on the campaign right now? Right now, we're putting a great effort out into uh, doing social media and, and, and a lot of phone calls to people. We're setting up our grassroots. We're trying to get committees set up in every county in Texas to push our message forward. Uh, we're, we're trying to develop heads of those committees today. We have a great team that we've hired so far. Uh, you know, my, uh, my campaign uh, consultant, who I, I think is a wonderful person. He, he certainly got me through the primary, and I and I kind of I give him most of the credit for that. Uh, 
he's 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 very politically inclined, and and I'm not. You know, and I, I don't want you guys to ever call me a politician. I'm not a politician. I'm a pet man that's passionate about this industry and about Texas and our in our jobs. Um, but I, but I think on on the other side of it, politically, we we're doing everything we can to make sure that we represent Republicans the best way way we know how in setting up a good grassroots campaign and. And I, I'm, I'm a strong believer of sitting down and having conversations like this one-on-one, no matter who it is. And I, I think that's what helped us get through the primary, and that's kind of our same intent moving forward, uh, to sit down and make sure that we have a message heard uh, come November. Well, and speaking of part of that strategy, I did read a recap of uh, what your team was kind of doing uh, at d- during the heavy part of the primary and a lot of your focus was on reaching out to strong Republican districts, uh, reaching out to rural Texas and getting that radio messaging out there. Uh, but also splitting your message into kind of two camps, everything that had to relate to uh, your message on the oil and gas industry, improving the Royal, uh, <laughs> railroad commission. But then the other side of it, uh, really, you know, bread and butter issues based things that Republicans really do key on. Uh, so while we got a few minutes here, can you uh, talk to us about some of those bread and butter issues and kind of where you stand on the big ticket talk topics like uh, immigration, free markets, uh, fiscal responsibility, uh, pro-life? Where are you on kind of these these red meat Republican issues? Well, I can tell you firsthand, I'm a strong Christian. I am. I'm definitely pro-life. I, I believe that life begins at inception. Um, I, I I am very strong on border security, <clears throat> just because uh, it, that's become even more dominant for me in my life. My wife was involved in an accident where she was hit by a carload of illegal aliens who left her there to die, and as a result of that, now she's a, a quadriplegic with 24-hour nursing care, and it's made huge changes in life. It's probably one of the, the bigger factors decided to run for this race and, and the changes that it brought to our life. Uh, you know, I, that will be forever changed. And, and I, I think that could have not happened had we had better border security in place. You know, I, I, I think that we give illegal aliens in this country. And when I say illegal aliens, I, I want people to come to this country and I want people to live the dream. But I want them to do it legally. And if you're doing it illegally, illegally you're a criminal. And you should be treated as a criminal when you do that, not given benefits for that. So, you know, I I want to do all I can if I get this public office to enhance that. In fact, I was very proud of my wife for coming to Austin at the GOP dinner, and she actually had the opportunity to sit down with Governor Abbott. And, uh, you know, I, I can, as we told Governor Abbott that night, if you need an advocate for, for border security, she's the person because she's lived it firsthand. Um, so, you know, that and coupled with, with, uh, uh, the pro-life issues and, and, uh, all, all, all the things that I talked about, I, I want to make sure that, that those, those come to the forefront and they're, they're things that, that we, we always try to improve upon. Now, Democrats are, are so hungry for a statewide victory. It's been, you know, decades now since they've been able to achieve that, uh, or since the last time that a Democrat won statewide here in Texas. So, uh, 
one of the things that I was reading about you in the primary is that you decided that you didn't want to accept any contributions uh, from within the industry. So are you maintaining that pledge as you move forward? And if so, who are your targeted donors and how do you plan to stay competitive uh, in a campaign market as expensive as Texas is? Well, what I said about my campaign contribution is I will not take campaign money from someone that expects a favor from that money. If you're giving me money for my campaign, do it for the right reasons, not for reasons that you expect something in return just because you gave me money. I see that all happen all too often. And I make I make that crystal clear to people that say, hey, I'd like to contribute to your campaign. Obviously, you know, a big part of the Democrats platform of this cycle is going to be about the Green New Deal, uh, about putting more heavy regulations on the oil and gas industry to say nothing of all the attacks on the Second Amendment, uh, free markets, uh, everything with this coronavirus response. But for you, as you as you look ahead, do you think there are any particular areas where your opponents are going to really try and strike hard uh, in this race for railroad commissioner? You know, I think they're going to pull everything but a knife in this race. I think that uh, they, they view this as their opportunity to gain a stronghold in Texas. And, and this election, this office is the greatest statewide office on the ballot this year. Um, I, I think that they, if they feel like they can conquer this, they can, they can conquer on down the ballot. And so I, I know that they have got great ambition. Uh, and, and when you have great ambition, <laughs> you, you, you don't, you pull out all the stops. So, you know, we're 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 ready for that. I, I think we've done a, a good job, and and I'm certainly not scared to, to face whatever they want to throw at us. But I think that uh, you know, as long as we can keep the message out there that you know, and keep people, and, and especially today, and I think this will prevail, that our economy and our jobs are everything. Uh, we will be successful in this campaign, and then then we we explain that some of the, the details and and what they want to run their platform on and how that does not help our economy and our jobs in Texas. Um, and if they do get a stronghold into Texas by some chance, then you're going to see that our economy will decline. And that's going to be the nightmare that I talked about initially when we started this interview. So have you had a chance to look over your uh, potential opponents' platforms? And of the two of them, do you have a preference on who you'd rather face? It doesn't matter to me. No, I uh, I have looked at both of them, and and uh, I, I know what they say. Their claim to, to knowing what this industry needs is, and I just I don't I don't think the experience is there. But uh, you know, it, again, I, I think both of them are for the Green New Deal. I know they are, and uh, I think they're for you know, they're going to really pound the flaring issue. And, and I'm, you know, basically I agree with them. We, we should not be flaring. We should be turning that into money. Uh, and we need to look at that from the economic side, not just to, to stand up and say, we're going to enforce flaring permits and we're going to stop our economy. For what? Now, the, the impact that flaring has in methane gas is not just attributed to natural gas being burned off in the atmosphere. We have a lot of things that attribute to that, lots of things. And there's not a good study that's been performed on what is the percentage of impact on from flaring versus a, a feedlot. You know, um, there's not good studies on that. So, 
you know, anything that they set out and tell people, there's really not good evidence to back that up. And what is its real true impact on what our our atmosphere is? Um, I don't think those are very well known. You know, I, I think through time, the world the world changes, and uh, we're going to do that whether we were riding horseback today or, or flying jets all over the place. I, I think that the world's just naturally going to change. We just got to make sure we have the ability to adapt and and do every we everything we can to prevent what we know is is causing a change to to occur. So I want to give you time to speak directly to voters. And I know one of the biggest challenges that every railroad commissioner candidate faces is explaining exactly what the railroad commission is. So can you, uh, what is your elevator pitch to the average voter on what the railroad commissioner, uh, what the railroad commission is and what you would do as railroad commissioner? I get asked that question all the time. You know, it's amazing to because I, I go to a lot of meetings or was going, and I have a lot of calls today. And people people ask me, "What does the railroad commission do?" You know, if you and most of them are voters. You see it on the ticket, and it says Texas Railroad Commissioner. There's names beside it. You know, and, and I wonder myself. You know, you just pick a name and you don't know what you're doing there. Then, and I, you know, I, I think it's been bad, and it's it's a bad reflection on the railroad commission that people don't know what that is. I think that it, it's my job to make sure that people do, and I'm, I'm glad you've asked that question. Texas Railroad Commission started out regulating railroads way back then uh, and quickly changed its focus, as we had talked about in the, in the late 1800s on when we discovered oil, that we had oil in Texas, and that the regulation needed to be placed on that. And railroads became a whole different animal at that time to where one agency essentially could not handle both of those. So the, so the Texas Railroad Commission got the authority to handle our natural resources and where other, another agency was formed to actually handle the railroad. Um, so when you define what the Texas Railroad Commission, despite its name is, we, we essentially govern the natural resources that, that come from with underneath the surface of the ground. And I try to put that as in layman as I can. So if, if that if that resource or that product has originated from naturality from beneath the surface of the ground, Texas Railroad Commission more than likely governs what occurs with it. That's what I try to answer to everybody. And everybody says, well, why don't we change the name to more reflect that? I'm all for it. But I'm not all for the, the tax dollars that it would take to change that name. I think I'm all for me standing up and saying, don't forget, it's very simple. If it originated from below the surface of the ground, we probably regulate it, period. So if you think Texas Railroad Commission, that's what we do. That that would be a simple message, and that has been the simple message that I've talked to, and, and especially a lot of these smaller counties where people did ask that question often. What is the Railroad Commission? You know, I would have a the guest speaker where I'd be invited standing. We have Jim right here tonight and he's with the Texas Railroad Commission. And I, you know, my dog, when he's confused on what I do, he cocked his head. And I saw a lot of people out in the audience got a cock in their head and go, what is the Texas Railroad Commission? And I spent most of my time explaining what it was we did, which uh, I think is, is not, not very good. We need to spend more time telling people what we do and how important it is to our economy and to our environment. So if you had to guess, and being completely honest uh, with yourself, 
how much of your victory on primary election night would you attribute to voters not actually knowing who they're voting for? You know, unfortunately, I see that a lot. Uh, uh, I see people going to the polls because they've got one candidate that they're actually really going in to vote for. And, and they go down the list and not really knowing who they are or what they've done. And, and I encourage people, you know, if they want to change and you don't like the way things are, you better start learning who you're voting for. Uh, and I think we've had that problem for a long time. And, and I, I think there's changes there, but um, I, I don't know how quickly those will occur. But I, but I think it's more important for there to be an easier, and I think it is getting easier through social media for people to find out who's on that ballot and what do they stand for. As where before social media occurred, that was really bad. You know, people would go in and say, you know, I, I want to go vote for our president. I've got this president. Well, not realizing that that ticket is very much long, long than the president's. So you would go through and fill out the ticket, and, and at least you got them to fill out the ticket. Well, a lot of people go in and they vote for the president and they walk out of the poll. You know, so I encourage people to, to know what they're doing when they walk into the poll, to do their voting for, and what that means for your future. Yeah, and especially to make sure you vote all the way down the ballot. There's important state house yeah, races. It, it, yep. it is very important that they vote down the ballot. And it's very important to know why they're voting down the ballot. And I think you guys, uh, the, the Republican Party has gotten better, better, and better. Just by why I see through this election, you know, I, I had a lot of people that have been pretty staunch Democrats, uh, that once I got the ability to talk to them one-on-one, came back to me and said, you know what, when I walked in the primary, I didn't even know that they forced me to pick one, Republican or Democrat. Been a Democrat all my life, but I wanted you in office, so I, so I picked Republican. And, and I started watching these Republicans that I picked for, and I really like the Republican Party and what it stands for. I, you know, I helped change a lot of those people over to Republican just because of the demographics of where I'm from and where I live. Uh, there, there's a lot of Democrats down here and a lot of believers in the Democratic Party. And I do think the Democratic Party at one time had had some good good things about them, but I think that, that us as Republicans have become more focused on what makes America a better country to live in than, than the other side. Do you think that message is what's resonating with folks and cause, and do you think that will continue to resonate in this election cycle? I do. I think that uh, it'll probably be more dominant in this election cycle than you've ever seen it before, just because of what we're experiencing since March of this year. Uh, this is a, this is a terrible time for the, for our economy. It's a terrible time for our people. And I think that if anybody ever takes an interest, you're going to see them take an interest this year. Uh, I think they, they're going to realize how important it is to go out and get leaders that, that they want to do the right thing for us as Americans. You know, and I, I applaud President Trump because, I, you know, his message was, let's make America great again. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And without us making America great again, uh, we're going to be in, in times like we are today without a pandemic. Well, and it certainly seems like uh, he may have uh, uh, a new path forward with that as more conversation comes uh, comes up about bringing those manufacturing jobs back from overseas and uh, restarting the manufacturing revolution uh, that this country has been clamoring for for decades now. Uh, 
as as we wrap up here i got a few more campaign questions for you uh i i i was really uh tickled i guess i'll say uh by the your response to a reporter uh about how you reacted after the primary you know uh and that you had scheduled business meetings throughout the day uh is it true that you didn't get any sleep uh on primary election night uh as you watched those results came in and did you kind of feel like a bit like the dog who caught the car uh yeah i you know i it's no secret i was shocked as i said before you know it's very hard to to beat a an incumbent Especially on the same ticket uh, or the same Republican side, um, so yeah, you know, I, I told the reporter that morning, and that I, you know, I was shocked about it, and it took forever to get the final results, and and I wasn't going to admit that I had actually won the primary until I saw the final results, and I, I didn't see those, I don't think, until about one thirty that morning. So when I got back, I, I had to get ready, and, and I had to be in a town that was about three two and a half hours away for our meetings. I had all day there the next day. So I thought, you know, if I go to sleep, I'm not going to wake up in time to make my meeting. So I didn't sleep. Uh, and of course, Wednesday morning, not being a politician, I did not re- realize the barrage of calls I was going to be getting. And uh, I was actually in, in a mediation where I couldn't accept calls. So as, as we would take breaks, my phone was smoking from all the, the messages on it. And, uh, you know, it was a, it, it, it was something I never had, had experienced before. It was, it was a long day. Well, I, I thank you for taking so much time to sit down and talk about so many different issues for us. Uh, as we look down the road, what is your message to voters and why should they support Jim Wright for railroad commissioner? I, my message to the voters would be that they need somebody on the railroad commission that stays focused and what drives our economy and what makes what makes our jobs stronger and what betters the lives for our people, especially here in the state of Texas. That that is the message that I want everybody to know about Jim Wright. And that will be the focus that I remain on, whatever that takes. Excellent. Well, if people want to find out more about you, volunteer with the campaign, what's the best way for them to reach you? Rightfortexas.com. Uh, there's volunteer uh places on there there's there's all kinds of things that people can help with and 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 trust me we need the help and and people really need to recognize that this this is a very important race for the democrats this year and i don't want to i don't want to single the democrats out i want people as a person to know how important this is and and who they vote for for this position in our economy and our jobs Excellent. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. Uh, We'll see you down the road at state convention. And, you know, if we got an opportunity to do so, we'd love to bring you back before the election in November. Let's talk about the issues that voters are going to be deciding. Thank you again for having me so much. And I'm so proud of you guys on on being Texas Young Republicans. Uh, You know, you're you're the pride of, of everything for me. And great job you guys are doing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have yourself a great day. You too. Thank you again to Jim for joining us. Thank you to you for tuning in. As always, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, uh, here on Facebook, wherever you want to get this podcast, we are wide and available. You can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Big Texas Podcast. Make sure you're following the Texas Young Republicans on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Texas YRs. Got so much coming up down the road, more candidates to interview. I don't know if you 
saw, but the uh, the state actually extended the early voting period for the runoff. So uh, if you are a candidate in the primary runoff this July, make sure you reach out to us uh, via social media, via email, via our website. We would love to have you on this podcast so you can talk about what it is that voters should be focusing on and why they should elect you uh, to be the Republican candidate for this November. Uh, Friends, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, until next time, we'll see you down the road.